Good evening, everyone. Our reading this evening is taken from the book of Joshua, chapter 8, verses 1 through to 29. And you can find that in the Church Bibles on page 222. So chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on the alert. I and those with me will advance from the city, and when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city, for they will say, they are running away from us, as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it. You have my orders. Then Joshua sent them off, and they went to the place of ambush and lay in wait between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night with the people. Early the next morning, Joshua mustered his army, and he and the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai. The entire force was with him, marched up and approached the city, and arrived in front of it. They set up camp of north of Ai, with the valley between them and the city. Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai, to the west of the city. So the soldiers took up their positions, with the main camp to the north of the city and the ambush to the west of it. That night, Joshua went into the valley. When the king of Ai saw this, he and all the men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle at a certain place overlooking the Arabah. But he did not know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel let themselves be driven back before them, and they fled towards the wilderness. All the men of Ai were called to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were lured away from the city. Not a man remained in Ai or Bethel who did not go after Israel. They left the city open and went in pursuit of Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out towards Ai the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out towards the city the javelin that was in his hand. As soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. The men of Ai looked back and saw the smoke of the city rising up into the sky. 
but they had no chance to escape in any direction. The Israelites who had been fleeing towards the wilderness had turned back against their pursuers. For when Joshua and all Israel saw the ambush had taken the city and that smoke was going up from the city, they turned round and attacked the men of Ai. Those in the ambush also came out of the city against them so that they were caught in the middle with Israelites Israelites on both sides. Israel cut them down, leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives. They were took, they, but they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the wilderness where they had chased them, and when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. 12,000 men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and plunder of the city, as the Lord had instructed Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. He impaled the body of the king of Ai on a pole and left it there until evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take the body from the pole and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate. And they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. Golly. Let's pray. Father, this is difficult stuff. And we just pray that as we look at this together, uh, you will help us. Uh, Help us to understand your word uh, and help us to know what it's like to be rejected and to be restored by you. Amen. So we're on page 222, if you've still got your Bibles uh, handy. Um, And this is, as we've just seen, a pretty tough and nasty passage isn't it? Um, This is uh, Mariupol, uh, before and after Mr. Putin's attack on the city. Um, And that's kind of what we're reading here, isn't it? This is what God is telling his people to do the same in AI. It's indiscriminate slaughter, apparently. So what are we to do with it? What are we to make of this chapter. Well, one thing we can't say, and you will hear people say this, is that, well, that's the God of the Old Testament, but now we worship Jesus. And Jesus is nice, and God wasn't. God's justice, and Jesus isn't. It just doesn't work like God. Psalm 102 says, God remains the same. Hebrews 1, Jesus is the exact representation of God. So we can't can't duck this by saying we've moved on from this chapter. When God commands Joshua to behave like this, Jesus is telling the people to behave like this. And by the way, I I guess this is fairly obvious, but perhaps it needs stating, um, this is not... Uh, a passage that justifies ethnic cleansing 
I'm not sure whether that was on anybody's agenda, but it has been used like that in the past. And that would be a misuse of scripture because the real message we're seeing out of this is that God cares for those who loves him. He restores those who turn to him and he rejects those who don't. And we've just seen the people of AI reject God and the people of God are restored. So that's what we're going to be be focusing on. Uh, and, and we'll think about the rejected people first, the people living in AI. Uh, you can still go to the site. It's a bit of argument about exactly where it is, but uh, this is a historic site uh, of AI. Um, the people living in AI were Amorites, huge nation, been around for thousands of years. Uh, and Amorites is a lot easier to say than the AIites. So we're going to call them the Amorites from now on. But they're the people living in AI. Um, and as we read this passage, I mean, we see the Amorites come to a pretty nasty end, don't they? And I think we should be shocked. I think we're supposed to be shocked by it. Just look at the, look at the, the, the references all the way. Verse 3, God says to Joshua to do the same to Ai as he did to Jericho, which is obliterate it. Verse 19, they do that. They destroy the city. Verse 24, they kill all the men. Verse 25, they go on to kill everybody else. And I guess that's the bit that sticks in our throats, isn't it? We can sort of just about cope with killing the men in battle. But then the women and the children. Well, if it does stick in your throat, it's supposed to. It's supposed to make us feel as though this is something pretty terrible we're dealing with. And if we think it's out of proportion, then we have to step back and understand that our God is at work. And a big thing we need to remember in all this is what Stephen was talking about last week. This passage follows straight on from Joshua 7. And remember Stephen saying, sin is more terrible than we can ever imagine. Sin's that Bible word, isn't it, for how we treat God. It's, it's choosing to live without God. That famous verse, the wages of sin uh, is death. We earn destruction when we ignore God. And that is what the Amorites have done. That is the position the Amorites are in. And this episode in Joshua 8 is, clear, is here as a very, very visual Warning, because the Amorites were simply not interested in living God's way at all, and you can see that played out in these um, in these chapters. So, if you looked at earlier, chapter seven, that Stephen was talking about uh, last week, uh, a small force goes up to to uh, to AI, uh, and the Amorites charge out uh, and kill uh, thirty six of them. And then here we are, uh, chapter eight, uh, and they're still blocking. The Israelite advance into the promised land. Uh, look at verse 14. When they get the chance, they hurry out to the fight. Can't wait to get at them. And you know, they didn't need to. You know, God has said, don't make treaties with these people. But actually, you know, think back to what happened at Jericho. And, and Rahab and her entire family are saved. Because they say, we know, God's on your side. And then next, next week we'll see the Gibeonites. Uh, and they do a deal. 
uh, and they're able uh, to avoid uh, the destruction. Joshua 11.20 later on says the Amorites' hearts were hardened. They got themselves into a culture, into position that didn't want God and they chose to fight God. And that leads to their destruction. And it's quite popular to sort of rationalize this a bit further and say we know uh, from Deuteronomy 18 that the culture out there was pretty unpleasant. And uh, people were involved in witchcraft and and child sacrifice. and, and, And God says these are all detestable things to be obliterated. But I just worry sometimes we kind of use that as a little way of rationalizing what we're seeing here. And we sort of say, well, that's why they deserved it. Because they were off the scale in their behavior. But that doesn't seem to be what's going on here, does it? These are people who simply stand against God's people. And judgment follows. And that judgment that we're just seeing acted out in, 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 this, in this slaughter, well, I mean, that's a, that's a picture of what the Bible describes later on in different ways. And so as we pan through uh, the, uh, the Bible, we'll, we'll find reference to of an eternity with God in darkness, without God, in darkness. Uh, fire, teeth, grinding pain, separation from love. All those images are kind of wrapped up and shown here at the battle of Ai, isn't it? It's hell made visible. Everything is destroyed. The city is destroyed. The people are destroyed. The families are destroyed. Their possessions are lost. There's no place in the promised land for anyone who rejects the living God. This is difficult. This is difficult and it's a a tough message, isn't it? Well, it perhaps might get a bit tougher now. Because here's the thing. Well, this isn't too tough to know. I discovered the other day, I share 96% of my DNA with a housefly. Um, now, that's not just personal to me. Uh, I think probably you all share 96% of your DNA with a housefly. Well, here's the thing. I share 100% of my spiritual DNA with the Amorites. I share 100% of my spiritual DNA with the Amorites. Because that is our default position. Uh, we, we may think that's nonsense. We may say, well, that's back in the Bronze Age and they didn't really understand stuff that we do now. We're much more sophisticated. We're much cleverer than these guys are. Um, but, you know, when it comes to the really important decisions in life, we're no different from the Amorites. We reject God. Isaiah 53.6, very well-known verse. All we like sheep have gone astray We've turned everyone to his own way. And that's what the Amorites have done. They've lived according to their own religion and to their own set of beliefs. And they just didn't want God involved with that at all. And that lifestyle, of course, is still attractive. People think, well, why do I need God? You may be thinking that yourself. And even if I do, well, look, there are other religions on offer. 
And uh, we look at things like pride and going, pride seems to go on for longer and longer and longer nowadays. And a lot of stuff in pride looks, looks quite attractive and, and, and we might want to join in. But we have to be very careful. Deuteronomy 7, Moses looks ahead to this time and he warns Israelites. And he says these other religions and these other way of thinking away from God's word. Well, they'll become a snare. They'll become a trap. And again, the danger of thinking as the Amorites are just doing all this nasty stuff like child sacrifice and witchcraft, we can kind of fool ourselves that this wasn't attractive. But I guess the Amorite religion, whatever they were doing, was good fun. That's why it was a snare. If it was difficult and horrible, nobody would have joined in. But it wasn't. It was attractive. And that's one reason why there has to be such total destruction, why the whole city has to be wiped out, how the whole families have to be wiped out. Because that way of thinking has to be destroyed and has to be taken out of our ways. You see, living life without God, living life our own way, it will seem attractive. But it will end in judgment and destruction and rejection. But while the Amorites are rejected, the Israelites are restored. You know, after Jericho, the Israelites have had quite a difficult time. Uh, chapter 7, they've had a go at attacking AI, and they got a good thrashing and had to come back. 36 people killed. Uh, they hadn't asked God for help in that at all. They'd just gone for it. Then they had to kill a family in their clans or whatever. Uh, because he disobeyed God. And we read in chapter 7 that with all that going on, they're just scared. They're outnumbered and they're cut off. But chapter 8, everything changes, doesn't it? Suddenly they win the battle. This time, you see verse 2, God says, you don't need to destroy everything in the city. You can keep the plunder. You have to destroy everything at Jericho. But here... You can carry off the livestock, the possessions, all the rest of it. You see that verse 27. They carry off everything. Don't even give a tenth to the Lord or anything. They're allowed to keep the whole lot. And that's a very tangible way of God encouraging his people in obedience. We have got an extremely annoying yappy dog next door. And he just goes on and on and on. And we all know that if we want to step, stop this wretched little animal yapping away, he just needs a bit of reward and a bit of encouragement. And then he will be happier, we'll be happier. Obedience will lead to a better life. If anybody would like to pop next door and tell our neighbours, that would be great. Now, that's a rather trivial example, isn't it? But we need a bit of light relief in this. But... The point is, that's kind of what's going on here on a much deeper level, isn't it? God is blessing these folk, in this sense, materially, to encourage them. And I guess that little story we just heard from Mark, uh, what a blessing to see that happening with the food distribution. But it's an encouragement, isn't it? When we see the Lord at work like that. So what we're seeing here is a sign, a very visible sign of restoration. The people are moving closer to the life that they're designed for. 
living in obedience to their Lord. Now, I'm not sure it's the, uh, it's the main point of this passage, but I think it's also worth just uh, seeing this as a reminder that we really can mess up and be restored again. You think this was, a, this was at a bit of a low point for the Israelites, wasn't it? They had all those defeats, early, all that stuff had gone wrong. And yet, look at verse 1, how this chapter gets introduced. The Lord says to Joshua, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. The Lord has to keep on saying that all through Joshua and Judges. I think he says it about seven times. Don't be afraid. They've just messed up. They might think, what have we done? And the Lord says, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. And maybe some of us just need to hear that voice tonight but the fact is that obedience here for the israelites brings very obvious and very tangible blessings and it's interesting i don't know whether you're into sort of military history and you enjoy all this stuff um, but it's a very detailed chapter i suspect a lot of the men were trying to work out exactly what was going on and the women were wondering what's going on in the tennis at this point. But, you know, there's everything happening, aren't there? You've got night marches, you've got forces being split up, you've got ambushes, we're fighting in the countryside, fighting in the streets. Uh, they're advancing, they're retreating, they're pretending to retreat, uh, they're signalling to each other. It, it's complicated and it's difficult and it's set out in a huge amount of detail. And you think, well, why have I got all that? And what it seems to be, it seems to be trying to show that Joshua is really working hard to obey God's command to take the city. And it's showing the people following Joshua, the servant of the Lord. It's that detailed obedience to what they're being told to do. And notice there's no miracle here, is there? God, you can see all the men staring at the map, trying to work out what's going on. <laughs> but there's, there's no miracle here, is there? There's no, there's no walls coming tumbling down. There's no giant hailstorm uh, that we get, we get later on. This is people just working and following what they've been told to do and seeing the victory as a result. So the message seems to be, if I follow God, then I'll be all right. If I follow God's instructions, he will bless me. Uh, if you Google a few internet sermons, that's what you'll find, uh, is what folk are saying this, this simply means. Do as I'm told, God will bless me. And there's truth in it, isn't it? Achan dissipated last week, he died. The Amorites oppose God, they die. The Israelites obey and they live. But to leave it there would be very simplistic and unrealistic. Wouldn't it? And it's unrealistic here too, because this is a sort of high point for the Israelites. Maybe that's why another reason why we get so much detail. There will be other battles, but this is a kind of high point with so much detail on it. But soon they're going to start losing again. Things are going to go wrong. This is a bit like Emma Radakanu. name, Radikanu. U.S. Open. Everybody's like, ah, oh, great, she's got to win everything from now on. Oh, so much for that. But there we go, you see. So, same idea, this huge battle, great victory, total obedience. But then very quickly, they're going to pick up the habits of the other nations. They're going to start drifting. And inevitably, disaster will follow. And that's kind of our position too, isn't it? 
we can try so hard. We think, yeah, I'm going to really work hard. I'm trying to be a, a, a good, good Christian. But of course, we fail. We're all Amorites in the end. Well, is that completely true? There's this awful ending, maybe awful, maybe brilliant, a sort of little time bomb. Do you remember those sweets you used to suck? You can still get them, actually, can't you? That sort of you suck away and they suddenly fizz and pop and you suddenly get this uh, bit of joy popping up as the flavor comes out. Look at verse 29, not a terribly joyful verse. They impaled the body of the king. It's not clear whether they killed him already or not, to be honest. Uh, They impaled the body of the king at sunset. They took it down, covered it in a rock. And that becomes one of, I think there are seven memorials that Joshua puts up uh, during his, his campaign. And this one is a memorial to their restoration. It's based on a king who was hanged on a tree and killed for his sins and buried in rock. And of course, that's familiar, isn't it? Uh, any of the Gospels, Matthew 27. You can read, Joseph of Arimathea takes the body of Jesus, who's been called the King of the Jews, which the soldiers have taken off the cross, same as being impaled, wrapped it in a cloth, and placed it in the tomb cut out of the rock. So there's another king, one who was completely obedient to the, to the Lord all his life, Killed on a wooden cross, not for his own rejection of God, but for our rejection of God. And buried in stone. That may or may not be the site. So this memorial outside, outside AI, built, what, 1400 BC, something like that, seems to point forward hundreds of years and point to another memorial and a wonderful truth. We had that little quote from Isaiah earlier, but we didn't finish it, did we? Isaiah 53 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, the Old Testament writers didn't know what we know. That all the sinfulness and evil that existed in AI, all the brutality that we hear about in the Ukraine, all the pathetic little sins in our own lives, all of them have been taken away by the Lord Jesus. So we don't need to face that terrible end that the Amorites faced because it came to Jesus instead. Uh, the ruins of Ai are still there. You can go and have a look at them. Uh, somewhere around there will be the bones of the king of Ai. But there are no bones to dig up for Jesus, are there? He defeated death so that all who trust in him can be restored. So there we go. We reject God, he rejects us. We might mess up. But if we trust in the Lord Jesus, Joshua 8 says, we will be restored. And the great news is that when we do put our trust in the Lord Jesus, God no longer sees an Amorite rebel. But he sees his dearly loved child. Let me pray and then Terry and Julie are going to carry on in prayer.
Lord, if we've messed up, thank you that you can restore us. And we pray that you will do just that. And if we've rejected you, we pray that you will restore us and bring us back to your family. Amen.